Road to Life. We love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline, and we're going to hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the Word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit RoadToLifeChurch.com, and we'll see you next week. I'm talking about something that we've called intentional faith. Everybody say intentional faith. You know, when you talk about faith, another word for faith, because I think a lot of times we use that word at church and we say, oh, faith. Another word for faith is trust, intentional trust. There, you, could, you could interchange them. And it's a lot like relationships and looking for maybe Mr. or Mrs. Right in your life when you talk about faith or you talk about trust in God is the first stage when you're looking for Mr. or Mrs. uh, Right is usually the way that it goes is when you meet somebody and you have an idea that this might be the right person is it's the euphoric stage. How many of you know what I'm saying? It's just like the feelings and everything and it is just like super cool and you know it's a, it's and it's it's reason and feeling based but it's superficial in nature because you really don't know the person how many of you know what i'm saying but you're but the feelings are there and everything is going off and it and and this is absolutely necessary but it hasn't had time to develop the same is true in our relationship with God and trusting God in our life our relationship with God starts usually either reason or feeling based and you sense God. I will never forget that when I was, I think I feel like I'm crooked. I got to just move right there. How many of you know you don't want a crooked pastor? (laughs) (laughs) Online, that was a joke. It was a joke. (laughs) I, I remember the first time that I ever really experienced God. I was raised in church but I didn't really, I, I mean, it was just a religious thing we went to. And I will be super honest with you, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. But if I were to stay at, live in my parents' house, I had to go. So I went. And um, and the very first time that I sensed God was real is I went to church under the coercion of my parents because it was like I would rather, okay, I'm going to do my time. And I went to church, and I'll never forget, I was singing, and I sensed the presence of God, and I went to church hungover from the night before. And so I went to church hungover, and all of it just lifted off of me, and I just sensed the life of God. And it was like, oh, my God, this is better than last night. How many of you know what I'm saying? It was the, the feeling and all of it. It was just like, it, but it, it was God just saying, hey, I'm real. I am real. And, and I think a lot, usually our relationship starts with a feeling or reason-based, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, in the Bible, and I think in life, that's, you know, that is what we would uh, classify casual trust or in a relationship it's a casual it hasn't really got, doesn't have a whole lot of experience in it but what it is is there in the bible we see this that the 
two different positions, and we talked about it last week with Jesus, where we can have a casual faith in God or a casual trust in God, but then equally what we see over and over again is that God will lead us and set us up to where it is no longer casual, but it is intentional in our life. It's an intentional trust. And, you know, casual faith is I mentally ascend to it. Oh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's more feeling-based and reason-based. And, and when you think about it is I believe and act on my faith because I feel like it. I've got that feeling of God in my life, and it reasons out, and it makes sense to my head. And please understand me. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I am not saying that that's wrong. I believe in feelings, and I like reason. How many of you know what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of people, whole lot more people that could use more reason. How many of you know what I'm saying? Is I, there, I'm not saying that I like feelings and I like reason and I want feelings and I want reason that accompany my faith. But the key is my faith or my trust in God isn't controlled by my reason or by my feelings. It's deeper than my reason and deeper than my feelings in my life. Where it, you know, where it's more than just a feeling and a cerebral only faith. I like them and I want them, but my faith and my trust isn't dependent on them in order to trust and follow God in my life. I'm not dependent. I'll tell the Lord, Lord, would you please give me the feeling? How many of you are with me on that? And and this is what we call first level faith. It's the euphoric faith. It's, it, you know, it's kind of like when you were dating and, and maybe when you first got married, whatever it is, is it was the euphoric stage. It's first level. It's necessary in our life, but there's more to our walk of faith than that level in our life. And last week we looked in the gospel of John and we, what we found out is, is we basically identified if we could uh, not overly simplify, but kind of is if we could break Jesus life into three seasons chronologically in John one was the year of obscurity. Nobody really knew who he was. John the Baptist was the main deal and nobody really knew. But by the time John two rolls around, is Jesus comes out of obscurity into popularity. And when you look at what do you mean by popularity, Jesus is feeding people. He's healing people. People are getting delivered. He's lifting everybody. And everybody wants to be around him. They're all everybody. I mean, literally thousands of people are wanting to be around him. And so from John 2 through almost the end of John 6, you see this season of popularity popularity in Jesus's life. But then right at the end of John 6 is it begins the season of what we're going to call adversity, where Jesus goes from being the popular to beginning to challenge his followers that they've got to go deeper than just this casual faith. And it opens the door now to adversity. And so people begin to leave him. People begin to accuse him. People begin to kind of behind his back. But when he was feeding them, when he was healing them, when he was lifting them, when he was delivering them, everybody was like, this is great. But the moment that Jesus stepped up and he said, look, guys, this teaching that I'm teaching you is not just for your feelings. It isn't just a superficial, but it is something that's got to go to the way that you live and the way that you see life or understand you're not going to have any part of me. It's not, nothing is going to work. See, Jesus knew that their faith 
faith or their trust had to go deeper. And so he began to challenge them to go from casual faith to intentional faith. And, and as he began to do that, it says at one point that everybody left him and he turned to his 12 disciples and he said, are you guys going to go too? And they, they basically said, you are the only one that has the words of life. And so what we're going to do today as we unpack that last week is today we're going to look at a story in the book of Daniel about three guys and their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They ain't here. Okay, you don't know anybody by that name. I don't think you do anyway. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at their lives. And what I believe that what we're going to see is really is, is a, we're going to see both of them, but we're going to see what intentional faith looks like. What does it look like to have intentional faith? And so if you study the backdrop, before we jump into it, we're going to read a lot of verses from Daniel chapter 3. But if you study the backdrop to this story, you find that Israel has ignored God over and over and over. And he's been trying to get their attention. Israel was God's chosen nation. And so what they've done is they would, they would go, they would uh, drift into full-blown paganism, idol worship, forget about God. And then God would raise up another king and that king would stir them up or maybe a prophet and they would come back to God. And the more that they do this, the farther they're getting away from God. And so God's protection is beginning to lift off of them. His protection over their lives is beginning to lift. And he begins to tell them, hey, I just want to let you guys know. And what they were basically saying is, is we want the feel good God. We want his blessing. We want him to bless everything that we do, but we really don't want to follow him. We really don't want to. We just kind of want our thing. And so God told them over and over again that, you know, if you keep going this way, it just isn't going to turn out well. And so through the course of time, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar moves in, conquers Israel, ransacks Israel, takes all of their wealth, and then picks the four wisest people in the, in the, in the nation of Israel, takes them captive, brings them back to his kingdom, and those four wisest people are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he puts them into this tutoring program for three years where they're going to be educated in the ways of Babylon so that if they could be his advisors if they make the grade. And so what happens is, is, is they prove to be, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel proved to be incredibly wise, and they so much so that they stand out. It's a favor of God with Nebuchadnezzar, and they rise to the point to where they are the governors over Babylon. They're the governors that are that is over the land in Babylon. They're in a foreign land, but God blesses them so much so. You know, it's kind of like us. Y'all, we're going to heaven. The Bible says we're in this world, but not of this world. God's blessing is on our life. Let me just tell you something. Y'all, you're blessed. Three of you agree with me. I said, y'all, you're blessed. You're, you're blessed. We're blessed. God blesses them and, 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 you, and you look at this, and I want you to just think about them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're now in Babylon, leaders in Babylon. Food is good. Pad is good. 
clothes are good, everything's taken care of. They're the governors over Babylon. Everything is good. And Nebuchadnezzar, who's been the one that God has used to bless them, has this idea. And I like to put it like this. Something happens that reveals whether their faith in God is going to be casual or it's going to be intentional. And I want to pick up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. And we're actually going to read 20 verses. So they'll put it up on the screen. So it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the providence, in the province of Babylon. That's where their governor. Then he sent messengers to all the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race, nation, or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. Verse 10, you issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and to worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes. I'm just going to throw an electric guitar in there too. How many of you are with me on that? Verse 11, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, I'm gonna, just a little side note. How many of you think these guys had an ax to grind with the other guys? You know what I'm saying? They're like, I saw you. I'm going to tell. Nah, nah, nah. How, many, how many of you know what I'm saying? Look at what it says. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the providence of Babylon, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? Verse 15, I will give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue. I have, made, I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, the, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Verse 16, and this is where I want us to pick up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Look at that statement. If you, if you were like death sentence, we don't got to say nothing to you. But, but what I want you to notice is they're respectful. They're not arrogant. They're not condescending. 
They're not rebellious. They're respectful. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. Now look at this. Your majesty, not disrespectful. Verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make clear, make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage, and he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, let's just stop for a moment right now. These guys, it's been going good. Shad, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has placed them in positions of authority. But what I want you to notice is this. They had an opportunity to be casual and say, I ain't feeling it. How many of you know what I'm saying? They had an opportunity to say, this doesn't reason out. But look at what it says in verse 16. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. And this is number one. There are going to be times that doing what the Bible says doesn't make sense. There's going to be times in our life when we talk about going from casual to going to intentional where we just have to simply stop and say, God, I see what you say. I'm going to do what you say. It doesn't make sense to me. It does, I'm not even going to try to defend it. They basically said, you are not going to get it. King Nebuchadnezzar. See, there's going to be times that we just have to stop and say, you know what? I don't get it. They're not going to get it. It makes no sense to the natural world and they won't get it. See, our trust must go deeper than our feelings and our reason. If my trust is rooted in me understanding and me feeling, then my obedience in difficult times is going to be very conditional. It's going to be subject to what I feel like what I want to do and, and what it is is our trust has got to go deeper than that. You know that this was the original sin in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember when the serpent presented it to Eve? He said, look, it'll make you wise. And it says that when she observed that it was beautiful and desired to make one wise, she took and she ate reason. It was not a reason test. It was an obedience test. And she failed the obedience test because she shifted over to the reason. And sometimes in our life, I am not saying don't use your brain. Use your brain. God gave you a brain. He wants you to use your brain. But the moment that your brain tries to supersede who God is, what his word says, and what he's leading you, you must stop and say, I am going to be intentional right here. And God, I am going to do what I know you say to do. We should use our head unless God's word says something different and he's leading different. There's nothing wrong with reason and feelings unless it's the only thing we go by. And I think a lot of times as Christians, what we do is that if we're not feeling God, then our obedience becomes conditional. Our following him becomes conditional. I mean, think about this for a moment. When is the last time you sat there and said, I feel like turning the other cheek to that person that just wronged me. 
You're just like, I want to turn the other cheek. And if I turn it, I only got two. I got no more to turn. How many of you know what I'm saying? When's the last time your feelings said, forgive it, let it go? No, your feelings say, wait, just hold on a moment. When is the last time your feelings said, I'm going to tithe and put the Lord first? When is the last time your feelings, and God is saying, you've got to go from casual to where you say, God, I am going to be intentional and committed to you beyond just the feeling of the moment, beyond just the reason of the moment. Look at verse 17. If Look at what he, it says in verse 17. It says, they said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, now look at this statement, the God whom we serve, look at how they saw themselves, we're servants of God, is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Look at that statement there, because they were governors, but they saw themselves as servants. Okay, no matter what we attain in life, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of God. No matter what position you give me, no matter what title you give me, no matter how many things you put, the very first thing that I am is I am a servant of God. I'm a ser- And they saw themselves. You couldn't promote them beyond this view of I'm a servant of God. When we are a servant of God, there is not far to fall. But when we think we hold everything up and we hold everything together, and it's because of our intellect, our ability, and our fortitude, we got a long way to go. But when we stop and we say, you know what, God, this is going down. I don't understand it. But, Lord, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of God. These guys' positions as governors in Babylon, but they never let it replace how they saw themselves with God. You might be in a position of leadership. You might be in a great position, but I want to tell you this. Everything you have is because of him. It's all because of him. And, and, and you look, no matter what I've attained, no matter what I've achieved, no matter what I've accomplished, I'm first before anything else, a servant of God. You say, why is that so important? Oh my gosh, it takes you off of the throne and keeps him there. It takes, it takes you out of that situation. When I see myself as a servant of God, it stops and it keeps me in a spot of equilibrium. This is number two. When challenged, they remembered that they were servants of God and that I love this because look at what it said. It says that God's able, that God's good. I'm not just servant of God, but I'm servant of a really good God. I'm, I'm, I'm a servant of a real, it's not just God, what God has done, it's what God is going to do. God, I serve a really, really good God. You know, this alone, if we'll anchor on it, will get us over the hump in our life. Sometimes in our lives, we're like, okay, God, I'm a servant of you, but I don't get this. I don't, I don't get this. You know, you might not get it, but maybe right now the Lord is taking whatever that thing is and he's going to use it like manure in your soil to grow what he's got for your life tomorrow. See, manure is not for today, it's for tomorrow. And that we're like, Lord, this is just a bunch of, how many of you know what I'm saying? This is just a bunch of, who's going who's gonna to fill in the blank? Jack, it's a bunch of? Come on, this is just, but God's like, you know what this is going to be? You don't see it, but this is going to be the fertilizer for what I've got for your life tomorrow. 
You don't see it. You smell it, but you don't see it. And are you with me? Verse 18. Look at what it says. But even if he doesn't, we want, it to, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment. They said, God's going even, I call it the even if he does factor, and this is number three. Even if he doesn't do it, what I think, I'm going to settle that I trust him. How many of you know that whenever we're in a spot, we all got thoughts about what we think God should do? How many of you know, I don't know about you. I do. I think I know about you because you're probably a lot like me. I don't mind going through adversity just as long as I don't have to sweat. How many of you know what I'm saying? I just, I just, Lord, just, I'll do every, just stop it short of sweat. God's like, well, don't you want to increase your capacity? Like without sweat. How many of you know what I'm saying? And, and that what, what we've got to realize, I call it the if not factor. Well, I only trust God if he does what I reason out and feel like it in my life. I believe in a certain good outcome. I believe in that with all of my heart that no matter what I face, there's going to be a certain good outcome. No matter what's going on, it's going to be a certain good outcome. Do I know how to get there? Well, I think I do, but I'm not married to I think I do. I'm married to I know the one who does. And God, I'm open and I want to, but what it is is we've got to stay with it and in it believing. Okay, God, this is going to turn out even if he doesn't do what I think, I am going to settle and I trust God. I don't know why, but right now I just feel stirred that there's people in this room that you need to say that over your life right now. You just need to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't know what's going on. Say, let's all just say this with me. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Okay, now I want you to say it with a little spunk. You know what spunk is? Y'all know what spunk is. Spunk is not just kind of like dribble. Spunk is like, eh, drive a stake in the ground. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't get it. I'd like to get it, but I don't have to get it in order to trust you. I am moving from casual faith to intentional faith in my life. Amen. Amen. You know, I think, um, and this isn't, this is in in the spirit of this context, but something I think that we overlook that is many times the most influential thing after we come into a relationship with God, and I'm just going to give you this as number four, is they had a consistency in their walk with God. You look at it. And you're like, we don't, what we see is the outcome, but what you have to realize is they were strong where they were because of being consistent in their walk with God. There was, consi- there was a consistency. 
we see some of the highlights in their life, and we say, God, I want that. Lord, I want that. I mean, they were taken captive as slaves to a foreign land and in an environment and are promoted to influential places while maintaining their convictions. They, were, they had consistency in their life. And I want to encourage us today that when we talk about intentional, the deck in the world around you is constantly trying to grind you down. It's constantly trying to get you to doubt God, to doubt what he says about your life, and to just go on autopilot and live by natural alone. And it's your consistencies. You say, well, what do you mean by consistent? I'm talking about a consistent walk with the Lord, a consistent time with the Lord. You say, well, how much should I do it? Well, if you're not doing anything right now, why don't you just stop and say every morning I'm having coffee with God. How many of you are with me on that? I'm going to have coffee and maybe I'm going to read a few. I'm going to read something spiritual, but it's going to start being consistent in my life. I'm not going to look for time. I'm going to make time. I'm not going to wait for time. I'm going to pick time in my life. I'm going to make an appointment. If you're not a morning person, do it at night. I don't know whatever it is, but the key word is consistency in our life. And if we will stop and say, Lord, I want to go from casual to intentional, one word describes that, and it's consistency. You say, okay, God, I'm going to get consistent in my life. We're reading this today when we look at this, and I'm going to just set up and um, in num number five is we're reading this because somebody was inspired, God inspired somebody to write this down. They wrote it down. We have the account of the actual events because God inspired somebody to journal this. We're sitting here some 2,500 years, 2,600 years later because somebody in that situation journaled this and wrote it down. And we're now going back and we're reliving and gleaning from it. See, it's way easier to encourage yourself if you're able to reflect on the times that God has brought you through in your life. And you say, what do you mean by that? And this is number five, is journal your journey. Just journal it. Just write it down. When God does something, do something to just jot it. And then when you go through a time that's difficult, you pull that thing back and you start reading all of the things that God has done, all of the places God has brought you through. How many times you thought the chips were down, throw in the towel, the ship is going down, it's burned to the ground, only for God to show up and show you it is not open. And when we're going through times where we have to have intentional faith, we simply open it up and we say, God, you did it here. God, you you did it here. God, you did it here. God, you did it here. I know you're going to do it again because I can stop and see. You've done it so many times. You didn't get me this far to let me down. God, you've got me this far and you're faithful. I want to just, you know, one thing that's super encouraging, the greatest king that Israel ever had was David. D the book of Psalms is David journaling. In one Psalm, he's on top of a mountain and in the next song, he's saying, God, you've forsaken me. In one song, he, he's like, I'm clinging after the dust, and I feel like they're kicking dirt on the face. And in the next song, he's like, on top of the mountain, charging, just the greatest place in the world. 
what it, what it is, is David journaled. And what I love about reading Psalms is you realize the spectrum of human experience and the spectrum of human life and the spectrum of our soul. We're one minute, it's up, and then we get hit with this, and we get knocked down. But we can open, go back and reflect on what God has done. I want to just refinish this story in Daniel 3.20. It says, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw these three men in. Now, how many of y'all, that's, that's like, that's hot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, everybody say suddenly. I like God suddenly. I don't like the world suddenly. I like God suddenly. Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, did we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now, how many of you, if you were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you'd say, come join me, Neb. How many of you know him? How many of you know him? I ain't coming out there. Come join me, big boy. You know what I'm saying? And bring your hot dogs with you. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. <laughs> so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. How many of you, you were in the fire, would just be like, oh, I'm cool with this. You know what I'm saying? Let's just stay in here for a little while. I mean, and look at what it says. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to worship and serve any God except their own. Man, I like that. But they had to go through a furnace to get there. You know, if you continue reading the rest of this chapter, what you find out, is Nebuchadnezzar issues a decree and says, now their God is the God over Babylon, and anybody that speaks evil of their God will be killed. He went from one spectrum to the other. But I wonder today how many of us right now, you're in a spot, and you've got to, you love God. I, I just want to be clear. You love the Lord. You love God. But God is taking you right now from casual too intentional in your life. God has fed you. God has healed you. 
God has blessed you. You have felt him. You have sensed him. Every, it has just been like, wow. But now God is saying, you know what? Realize for you to step into all that I got, I have got to be bigger than your feelings and your reason. And I need you to be willing to follow me even if you don't feel it and even if it doesn't reason out because I've got more and I've got better for you. But realize right now, I got to get you weaned from the pabulum and get you into the things that I've got for your life. Let's stand to our feet right now. I like to say it like this. I'm not saying that they don't have something to say, but how many of you know when somebody's been married for six months or a year, they don't have a lot of sweat yet. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so they come out and say, I'm doing a marriage class. I'm like, dude, you're going to teach us about kids too? Yeah, we're going to have some of those too. <laughs> You're just like, okay. But when somebody stands up and they've been married for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and you can step back and look at their kids and their family and their relationship and all of the above, it's like, okay, you've lived beyond just that casual experience to where now you've really got a platform and I want to grow. I think in our lives sometimes, God wants to take us beyond that honeymoon experience of faith and trust in Him. You're here today, and maybe as I shared, and maybe as I talked, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, your whole perspective of God has just been this religious perspective, where you just kind of like, oh yeah, I, I do my time, I got my life. You've never seen God as wanting a personal relationship with you. He created you. All the little idiosyncrasies of the way that you're wound, God created you. He knows what will make you fulfilled. He knows what will make you happy. But your primary reason for creation was a relationship with him. And then you bring that to your personal life. And you're here and you've never given your heart to the Lord. You've never came in and said, God, I'm, I'm done with doing life my way. There's a bigger purpose than me in my world. And you have a plan for me. And you've never given him your heart, given him your life, or you have but you're not where you should be right now. And God right now is calling you for a U-turn. He's saying, want a fresh start? Are you ready to go all in? If that's you today, I want to pray with you right where you're at. On the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. We're all going to pray together. The reason I say to lift your hand is because I'm calling you out of the casual place into the intentional place. That is you. One, two, three. Lift your hand to the Lord. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. 
I want to lead us all in this prayer. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I need you. And I thank you for giving your life to pay for my mistakes and open the door to a relationship with God. I repent of my sins and I'm asking you, forgive me. Come into my life. I give you my heart. I give you my past. I invite you into my present. And Lord, I'm asking you, lead my future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.